0: My name's Will DeFries, and this is the Sunday Scaries podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. They describe themselves as the oldest and most prestigious wax manufacturer in the world. The Cut said once you smell one of their candles with its unique, not overly perfumey scent and a name inspired by European history, other candles won't smell as good. Cier Trudon candles smell like they're alive. There's some umami to them. And Nota Candle website Candle Delirium simply stated all their candles are still made with the same perfected wax technique and are still recognized by those in the know as the highest quality candles. The company, of course, is Cier Trudon. It's spelled C I R E space T R U D O N a truly historic scented candle company that began in 1643, it's now regarded as the oldest scented candle company in the world. They were the royal wax supplier in France, where they even supplied wax to Napoleon, but are now a staple in luxury stores and lavish townhouses all across the world. David Sedaris even said, You have to be really careful about scented candles. There's only two kinds worth having, diptyque or Trudon, so you can know he's a fan. And while that general sentiment is not echoed on my end, I will say that Sir Trudon made a very large impression on me when I first discovered them in 2008. Then, I was tasked with selling a candle I could never dream of affording. With scents so strong they had to be on display, covered in individual domes, I immediately knew that I was dealing with an echelon of luxury that I hadn't experienced before in the realm of scented candles. So how much do they cost, you may be wondering? Well, for their standard candle, a 9.5 ounce container that lasts about 55 to 60 hours, you're going to spend about $110 retail. And with that price point and that much prestige behind it, I think we can all agree that it should be included as a center point for this month's segment of Worth the Splurge. I purchased my first on candle with a gift certificate in 2011. I had been entranced by them from the day I opened the first box and began receiving them at my then job. The first thing you notice is the packaging. Each is presented in a thick cardboard box, sturdy enough to present on its own but not so much that you'd want to hold on to it as a keepsake or a storage container really. Next, after opening the box, you're struck with an overwhelming amount of scent, as if the notes in the candle are sitting in the box waiting to just hit you in the face. Each candle comes from or comes with an insert describing each of the scents in great detail. This for better or worse is likely how they sell you on the candle alone when the candle alone isn't just enough. And if it's somewhat vague, let me explain to you by reading some of the more notable descriptions of the most popular scents. Our first is called Abdelkader, and that's something I'm definitely saying incorrectly, but it's, it's something that I know that I will not ever be able to say, so I'm not even gonna bother. It smells of Moroccan mint tea. And the description of the candle is a gust of freedom blowing from the Mascara coast and the mountains picks up on its way to the green scents of fresh mint, the rashness of fights, ginger's hot and peppered air and the perfume of tea and tobacco from the Ouled Nail tribe. I'm sorry if that sounds disjointed, but that is just how ridiculous some of these scent uh, descriptions are. There's also Balmoral, named for the Scottish holiday home to the royal family, which is described as after the rain, mist rises from the plains in an earthy haze. Damp ferns, sprouts, and meadows. Under the green sun already draining the storm, they surrender their herbaceous vapors to the passing wind. And finally, my personal favorite and the most absurd, Ernesto. They describe it as, in a hotel of Havana, in Havana, under a fixed sun of the revolution, the fierce and partisan overtones of leather and tobacco meddle with the panelings wax in silence. In the cool dimness, fawn grimaces shimmer along with the smoke of cigars and the barrel of guns. If you're not shocked by how ridiculous these are, then I'm not really sure what to tell you. But just as you get lost in the lore surrounding these, your brain clicks and you remember that they cost around $110. However, these candles are not to be judged by the hype surrounding them as much as they should be rated on their merits as actual candles. Next time you're in a department store with more candles than the eyes can see, do yourself a favor and go take note of how people describe various scents, whether they're expensive or not. Some may say, this smells like laundry, while others might say, huh, this kind of smells like deodorant. There are trademark things that our brains default to whenever scent comes into play. These candles, however, don't really fit that mold. There's something deeper to the scents themselves. Unlike a lot of candles on the market, you can actually decipher the different scent notes that each have to offer. Let's use Balmoral Balmoral as an example. The head notes are cut grass, foliages, and mint. The heart notes are freesia, iris, and tea, and the base notes are musk, pinewood, and sap. And while sure I have no idea what some of those things smell like individually, sutured on candles have a, pl- complex- a complexity Sorry, to them that makes it difficult to really just put your finger on. Whether you like a particular scent of theirs or not, there's an unmistakable mystique to each of them that oddly commands respect. A few moments ago, I noted that each of these have a burn time of about 55 to 60 hours. One of my favorite sales floor tricks when I was peddling these actually wasn't a disingenuous tactic at all about, you know, as, as it may sound. If someone was on the fence, I'd simply tell them, you know, you don't even have to have these candles lit to smell them constantly around the room. And yes, this is completely infactual and true. Their deep fragrance, the very reason they're displayed with those individual domes, it lingers for days after the candle has initially burned. You can just smell it throughout your place. The high quality wax gives off very little smoke and leaves no residue on the sides of the containers. And the cotton wicks, while always needing a good trim, of course, burn evenly and rarely have any actual issues associated with them. And the thick glass container is inspired by the shape of a champagne bucket and it's really just a nice, sturdy candle. But even with all this information at our fingertips, it does beg the question, are Sear Trudon candles worth the splurge? My answer, well, maybe not as definitive as you'd like. If you're looking for a candle to light on a Sunday morning and let burn throughout the day, this probably isn't the candle for you. If you're looking for a reasonably high quality candle but on a budget, these candles are most certainly not for you. And if you don't care about scented candles enough to buy the Range Rover version of them, well, I think you know where you stand. But the people who may consider these to be worth the splurge These are people looking for a high-end wedding gift for a couple who already have it all, those who love scented candles so much and they want to try the highest echelon of them, or simply those who love luxury and are willing to pay not just for the product itself, but for the brand who supports the aura surrounding them. As for me, well, I admittedly have one of these sitting on our coffee table as we speak. While I didn't buy it for podcast research purposes, it was something that I bought during the dog days of quarantine that I thought would be a nice treat for my wife and I. It sat in the cupboard for upwards of eight months before I finally broke it out, and today it still sits unlit, giving off small wafts whenever we walk by. Will it eventually get lit when I finish my most recent Sunday Scaries candle? Of course it will. But for now, it remains a pretty thing to look at, a small luxury that brought us joy during a time when being around the house became a little bit stagnant. So is it worth the splurge? Well, only really under certain circumstances, but if you see a lineup of these sitting under their trademark domes in the next department store that you go into, take some time to enjoy the experience in front of you. Just make sure to smell the dome in favor of smelling the candle itself, just the way that Seer Trudon intended. We all shop online and we've all seen that promo code field taunt us at checkout. But thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best ones that it finds to your cart. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online. They range from sites that have tech and gaming products to popular fashion brands to even food delivery imagine you're shopping at one of your favorite sites when you check out the honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons you wait a few seconds as honey searches for coupons it can find for that site and if honey finds a working coupon you'll just watch the prices drop Honey has saved me money on pretty much every purchase that I've made online in the last few years, and it was something that I used even before that they were a sponsor of this podcast, so you know that I really do enjoy it. Uh, I've used it anywhere from buying scented candles to getting the tuxedo for my wedding to just getting a new pair of shoes. Honey has found its over 17 million members over $2 billion in savings. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com/scaries. That's joinhoney.com/scaries. It was a particularly hungover fall Sunday. I remember waking up and somewhat knowing that the day was going to be a wash. We'd go to our favorite sandwich shop, we'd attempt something active, and then we'd settle down for the rest of the night and watch some TV. Unfortunately, the active part of our hangover cure likely fell by the wayside. And while I don't remember what caused that particular hangover or anything else about that day, I know we did something that changed my Sunday routine forever. We watched our first episode of Chef's Table. It was season one, episode one, Massimo Batura. The beautiful cinematography, the heartwarming backstory, the food, Everything added up to what was, at the time, the perfect Sunday programming. And up until that point in my life, I had never really taken a dive into the deep end that is foodie television. I specifically remember a friend explaining to me that he didn't understand the allure of it. Something about how he didn't want to see people reacting to food that the viewer can neither smell nor taste themselves. That logic actually makes a lot of sense to me today, but I've gone so deep into the rabbit hole that I can't see myself digging out. These days, I hesitate to watch much more of Chef's Table than I already have. It's my humble opinion that the most recent seasons don't hold a candle to the first two, but that's neither really here nor there for this segment. In fact, I don't think I even need to be on the lookout for new food-driven television shows. When I saw Stanley Tucci was doing his Search for Italy series, it was the cherry on top of all the other food shows that I was currently digesting. It's a show I, was, I wish I was, it was on Netflix so I could avoid the commercials, but there's something just inherently relaxing and about watching Tucci Vespa around Italy, whether there are commercials playing in the middle of it or not. But Stanley Tucci is shy, the sh- aside, the sheer amount of content for self-described foodies is truly incredible at this point. Let's take Gordon Ramsay for example. He's never been a chef I've taken to when it comes to Master Chef or Hell's Kitchen or whatever other shows he's on. But I'll be damned if I try to cook something without looking up a YouTube video of his first. There's no, there's a. A sense of accomplishment of completing an involved meal after getting uh, a mid-Sunday craving. The first time I wanted to do duck, I went to the grocery store and simply bought the largest duck breast they had. When I got home, I kind of had the realization that it was probably going to end poorly if I didn't learn the ins and outs of cooking such a delicate piece of meat. And what I found was that despite my lukewarm feelings towards Mr. Ramsey himself, I would have been completely lost without him. I probably would have committed the cardinal sin of cooking duck, which is starting it on an already warmed cast iron. But in just five minutes, I went from being a novice to feeling like I deserved a Michelin star for what I had just done in my kitchen. And now, when people ask me how I do duck, well, I hesitate to admit that I just forwarded along that Gordon Ramsay tutorial. Back in 2008, I read Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential on a flight to and from California. It was the first time that my brain really showed any interest in cooking on a higher level. And while I still very much cannot cook on a very high level myself, the idea that anyone could get in the kitchen and make something world class was somewhat alluring to me. At that time, I don't think I realized how many lives Anthony Bourdain had already touched with not only his food, but his words. I think it goes without saying now that the effect his life had on so many, and it wasn't just because he was traveling to exotic locations eating food that we've never heard of. He taught us that food brings people together in a way that nothing, truly, nothing else really truly can. And maybe that's why these food shows feel so good on Sundays. They're an all but ample replacement for Sunday dinners with family. They take you from being lazy on the couch to a cliffside pizza restaurant on the Amalfi Coast. They make you feel high class despite the 10 light beers that you ingested just 18 hours before. Even today, I'll put on my all-time favorite food-driven episode of anything, the Francis Malman episode of season one of Chef's Table. The South American scenery, the lessons learned about friendship and relationships, And at the risk of sounding lame, just the vibes alone are kind of Sunday feeling enough for me that I don't really hesitate to run it back once every couple months. And when I'm not watching that, I don't know, maybe I'm in the kitchen with Selena Gomez on HBO. Perhaps I'm watching a chopped marathon. Or hell, maybe I'll throw all caution to the wind and watch the 2009 classic film, Julie and Julia. But no matter the hangover, no matter the work that I have to do on Monday, no matter the lack of ingredients I have in my refrigerator, there's simply something productive feeling about kicking back and watching someone cook a meal that I'll never have the pleasure of enjoying myself. You know, unless it's duck night. As many of you know, I had my first child in April of this year. My favorite part of the day is when he wakes up. I go to his bassinet and he gives a big stretch before looking at me with a huge smile on his face. While I always felt as though my life had purpose before him, the amount of purpose I feel now is undeniable. And because of this, I now see why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones that you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork, when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And If you prefer to talk in person, their team of licensed agents doesn't work on commission, so they'll help you and not upsell you. No hidden fees, you can cancel any time, and you can get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. La- and Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and a by A.M. Best. And finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash scaries today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash scaries ladderlife.com scaries. In lieu of doing an entire listener questions episode of uh, this month's podcast, I thought that I would just knock out a few questions at the end of this one and do two other segments. And so I collected some uh, questions from Instagram and let's just dive into them and get some uh, quick answers out of the way. The first one was, are you in on Birkenstocks? And I have to say, I very much am in on Birkenstocks, but I don't own a pair. I think there's something nostalgic about them. I grew up in Michigan where Birkenstocks were very popular growing up, whether you had the sandals, whether you had the clogs, whatever you had. I feel like everyone just had a pair of well-worn Birkenstocks. And now the stocks and socks fad has really taken over. And I have been looking at some Arizona suede two strap gray sandals. So, yes, I I think I think it's safe to say that I'm very in on them. I just need to get over the hump and finally buy them. Uh, Our next question. Now that you're, do, you're doing your side hustle full-time, do you have a new side hustle? I have to admit, I don't. Uh, it's kind of been nice, and I think fatherhood has definitely taken away from a lot of my free time, but at the same time, I'm enjoying doing my job so much at this point that I'm not really actively trying to do other stuff outside of it. I will say I do miss having the, the kind of passion of doing something for no other reason than, than enjoying doing it. And I guess I'm lucky that my job is that now. But at the same time, I do think that there's somewhat of a vacancy in my life when it comes to kind of hobbies in general. And so I think as my son gets older, I need to find hobbies that I can do with him. I need to find side hustles that, you know, don't take up too much time. But overall, yeah, I'm not too worried about it. And I really do enjoy my life right now. So I'm not going to I'm not going to concern myself too much with getting a new side hustle, though. I think everyone should have it kind of on the back burner in, in a way. Uh, another question, what's the best summer month? This is a hard question. I Summer used to be my absolute favorite uh, season, and now that I've moved to Texas, it could not be further down on the list than it is. It's definitely my fourth favorite season. Uh, when it comes to the actual months though, June is kind of a tease. You still have some bad weather sometimes if you're in a Northern state. July is the best unless you live somewhere sweltering hot like I do now. And August to me just kind of feels like the Sunday of summer in general like I feel like it's fall, you're just staring fall in the face the entire time but I have to say I know that it's not a summer month but you still get summer weather in September and I just absolutely love it the kids are going back to school things free up the weather is normally absolutely perfect in most areas and I know that it's, it's kind of a cop-out answer because it's not technically a summer month but September is definitely the best month uh, our next question I'm turning 30 on August 11th and I'm having a mild crisis over it. Do you have any suggestions or advice? Uh, yeah, I mean, I somewhat had a crisis as I approached 30. It was kind of a, a weird feeling. You, you're, your 20s are so fun, they're so great. And then as you approach 30, it's like, oh man, I'm getting old. But I have to say, what I've learned is that your early 30s vastly outweigh your 20s. Uh, I've had a lot more fun in my 30s. Uh, I think that a lot of people are kind of a little more, you know, financially stable in their 30s, so they're willing to do stuff. You kind of have the, the grind of starting off your career out of the way, and so you can kind of spend more time doing things. I think your 30s are very underrated, and I think, that I, I think there's a lot more justification of being scared of going into your 40s than going into your 30s at this point. Because I, I have to say, your 30s are just the best. In our final question, you wake up before your alarm and can't fall back to sleep. What's the best way to spend that morning? My wife works in a hospital and she has to get up very early every single morning. Some of those mornings I I can sleep through it, but a lot of the mornings I end up just waking up when she does. Uh, This especially happened during quarantine when I had too much time on my hands already. But one of my favorite things in the world is waking up with the sun. I just love being in bed and seeing the sun come up. I like listening to an album on my phone for a little bit and just watching it come up. I like to have numerous cups of coffee maybe even catch up on some tv shows that i've missed lately and maybe even do some light works that i feel productive but overall i will say that having a productive morning and kind of doing that regularly will definitely turn you into a morning person and as a morning person myself uh, i welcome anyone into that club if you liked what you heard today make sure to subscribe review or tell a friend in need about this podcast by subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter, at Sunday Scaries, and Instagram, which is at Sunday.scaries. Or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at WillDeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.